All right. Good evening, room one. We have um, one person's logged in so far and her hand is raised. So I'm going to go ahead and allow eggnog to talk and we'll go ahead and dive in. Hi, eggnog. Hey, Jess. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, well, I was great yesterday. Um, I did a case that I normally hate um, <laughs> because I struggle with it and I never understood why. Mm-hmm. Yesterday in the OR, I had an epiphany, figured out a way to make the case better, did it in a fraction of the amount of time that I normally do. Awesome. And now I want like that case to come in again so I can do it again. <laughs> um Oh. Yes, it was like finally, finally a win in the OR. I was so happy. Um, mm-hmm. I only do the case like once a year, but now mm-hmm. I want it to come in like next week so I can do it again. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to have to text you when we're done and um, get details on the case because I'm super curious. Oh, I will. I'll send you x-rays and everything. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so was on a high from that case, super excited. Um, And then I come into work this morning and open up my email. And there was um, like a final decision from um, the peer review committee. Mm -hmm. So right before Thanksgiving, um, I got an email that one of my cases from three months ago was sent to peer review for um, prolonged OR time, but, um, it was a pretty complex, like, pathology, and then, like, on the classification scale, this patient had the worst kind, um, Mm -hmm. so it takes, like, all surgeons long to do it, like, I feel pretty comfortable with it, it just takes time, yeah, so anyway, I responded, you know, really wasn't sure why they were bringing up the case from three months ago, but responded, told them kind of about the case, everything was fine, and then the review came back and they said, okay, um, you know, our review's complete. There's nothing to do. Um, we're not going to take any further action. We're closing this. Um, great. But then I keep reading and it says, um, we've noticed your cases take longer than your peers. And this can indicate a lack of proficiency. Hmm. And this like last statement to just cause my blood to boil. Yeah. Um, because, you know, obviously, I don't know who's on the peer review committee. I don't know if any of my type of surgeon is even on there. Mm-hmm. But um, this was coming from one of the hospitals where I do do, like, big cases over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the gossip know, this, hospital. Like, what's that? Is it the gossip? Yes, hospital? <laughs> yes, the gossip hospital. I'm like really hating it now <laughs> over there. Um because again, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know who sent the case to peer review. If it was like a, you know, like an OR staff member or another surgeon or an anesthesiologist, I don't know where any of that's coming from. But um, you know, with that statement of it could indicate a lack of proficiency, you know, it made me sort of so angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but then now I don't know if maybe I have a different definition of proficiency from. I don't know, like some sort of standard accepted definition. But to me, as long as you do the case well and the patient's like safe and okay, to me, that's a proficient case, no matter if you do it in like 20 minutes or two hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you do a case and, you know, you have a lot of intraop complications or you let the patient, you know, you close and you have like a suboptimal sort of condition or whatever, to me, that's not proficient. I don't think it has um, anything to do with time. So in one of my fellowships, we worked with one surgeon who was so slow, so painful, but he did a really nice job. Um, His partner was really fast and like maims people. I don't know how he's like still employed by this big academic medical center because he's a horrible surgeon. Uh So to me, like your case time has nothing to do with how proficient you are. It's really like, if you know what you're doing, if there's any problems, you know how to address them and recognize them. Uh Um, And it's said in there, you know, please use, you know, please consider peer support for these larger cases, which... I don't disagree with, but I don't have any peer support, like um, very unsupportive partners. They are not interested in helping anyone out, let alone me, Um, not even for five minutes, not, 
hey, can you like run across the street, hold a retractor for 15 minutes, make this part of the case go smoother and leave? Um, they, there's no support there. And then for one of the other big cases I did, I actually um, asked one of the surgeons in the behemoth group across the street if um, he wouldn't mind popping his head in. Mm-hmm. And sure, no problem. I'm in clinic. I'll run down during lunchtime. Just text me. I text him. I'm busy. Sorry. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm trying to get because I, you know, peer support during these big cases would be amazing. I just don't have that option. Mm-hmm. Um and I know one of there's also a Kaiser group that operates there and they double scrub like two surgeons for big cases. So I, you know, I get that point. But for me, you know, for them looking at the times, this claim of like, I mean, again, they're not saying I'm not proficient. They're saying it could indicate whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I just feel like it's a different circumstance. It doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, this hospital has a proctoring requirement. So you have to have, you know, a certain number of cases proctored. Mm-hmm. And I had different surgeons from different groups proctor me mm-hmm. for, uh, and most of the cases were actually these like big type of cases. And they even wrote on there, like, um, this was an extraordinarily difficult case, um, could not have done it in any faster time. Um, so it's yeah. like, I have multiple surgeons who've already proctored me and said, Hey, like you do a good job. You know what you're doing. There's no way to make this case go any faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the peer review committee saying, Oh, well this, that, and the other. Um, and so there's two things I just wanted to discuss here. Um, one is, so I have an opportunity to respond to them, which I would like to do because I always think if you can, it's good to, mm-hmm. um, even though they've closed it. Um, so one, like sort of the best way to respond to this in a non-emotional way. Yeah. And then two, what's happening, particularly with this gossip hospital, but even with my practice in general, is I'm starting to feel like very threatened in my group. So. Okay. We are the little fish in the big pond, but I'm not in a school of fish. I'm swimming by myself with these like big sharks. Cause you know, I, I, some, um, I'd actually interviewed for the Kaiser group when I was with the, when I was with this job mm-hmm. and I said, how do you get to do your add on cases so early? Oh, well, we're a big group. We can make a stink. We get what you, we want. They're like, they would never do that for you. Cause you're essentially on your own. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I feel like, there's a target on my back because I'm essentially solo where these other surgeons, like no matter what they do, they're kind of protected by their big group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm starting to feel like very threatened here in my practice and very exposed. And I never used to feel like that. And it's very unsettling. Okay. So which thing would you like to work on now? The the best way to respond or this um, you know, feeling threatened. Cause um, when you described the, um, the email and then you, you know, talked about, you're like, well, this doesn't apply to me. Cause I kept thinking in my head, like, okay, so what's the problem? What's the problem? Because it sounds like you're really clear about you, your skills, how long things take sometimes, especially when they're complicated. And it's like, well, this is stupid. Like, this is just a stupid statement that is probably part of a form letter. Um, that's what I'm trying to tell myself. It's probably a secretary just like copied and pasted something. <laughs> no. And they probably have to say that because what's their, what's their target is to make more money. Right. So they want to have reasons why they're not making more money. That's my guess. Um, and so it sounds like, you know, and these other surgeons who proctored, you know, that you do the work that you do and you do it well, and you take the amount of time that you take and that's that, and you do complicated cases there. So, but so the whole time you were describing that, I was like, okay, so what's the problem? And it sounds like then at the end, you're like, all right, because you are angry about it. So I wanted to yeah. dig a little bit deeper around like, why are you angry when you know it's not true? It's like completely yeah. irrelevant what they're saying. Yeah. Um, but then you said you wanted to respond. So that makes sense. But it, so then there's this threatened thing, which is a different issue. So I just wanted to recap and to see which one you wanted to work on. Um. I guess the response would be like pretty straightforward. So maybe the threatened thing, because I think, because again, the rest of the letter is fine, right? They very clearly say, we're not giving this a rating. There's, we're not, we don't, 
we're not going to look into the care of this patient, like everything's fine, we're closing this. So I think it's more the threatened part where, you know, especially with this hospital, especially with my group, I'm like, what else, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So I just want to like, say for all of the surgeons that what you're demonstrating is having your own back in this sort of circumstance where, you know, we could read that and we could make that mean something about us. And that's probably why you feel angry is because you're a human and you're temporarily making it mean something like these assholes. Like, why are they, why is that even in there? Like, why do they have to say that? Like, are they suggesting that I'm somehow not competent? This doesn't make sense. Like, it makes sense to have kind of an instinctual thought like that, that would create anger. And then you could be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And, but I know myself, I know I have my own back here. I just really want to clarify and make sure that's what you're telling us. Like you really do have your own back here. Cause that could be a great example for other people. Yeah. You know, it's like on one hand, I'm like, Oh, maybe I don't, but on the other hand, I really feel like I do in particular, not this case, but another case I did. Um, apparently I am only one of three surgeons in this entire big city to do the case. So Mm -hmm. I don't see like how they, you know, how that could be compared to anybody else. And there's other, you know, there's definitely, and obviously there's surgeon issues. You do more cases, you get faster. This will all like work itself out with time. Um, and I know that because that's what happened in my old practice. Um, but there's also, you know, other issues that are out of my control. Like, um, one of the, the circulators has become really uncooperative with setting up the cases, which is causing like huge delays. Um, a brand new scrub tech keeps getting put in my room when she's like still not done with her, um, whatever, like for whatever they call it, their yeah. training, doctoring, whatever it is they do. So yeah. that I also want to include in my response, but yeah, I mean, I think I truly feel like this is not all on me. And really the concern is, um, just sort of feeling more threatened all the time. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah. then, Let's set that up. I had the other one set up, so I'm going to erase that. And then we're going to put threatened in the feeling line. And you mentioned like being a fish with sharks. So in the sea line, are we just going to call this like current group? Current group, yeah. Because I, you know, again, I know this from my old group. I don't think I would feel this way if I was in a different group with like partners who gave a shit about anything. Okay. And so what's, what is the thought that's creating this feeling of threatened? Nobody gives um, <laughs> There's You also said there's a target on my back. Like, how is that? Yeah. Um, I think it's more that I don't have any support there because even, um, my partners, one of them, he like decreased his level of privileges at the hospital and the other one, um, he's the owner of the group. Uh, he's, his cases also take like forever. Granted he does do like hard stuff that nobody else in town does. Um, Mm -hmm. but so they they both hide in our surgery center. Um, I don't have that luxury because there's no room for me there, Mm -hmm. but also, um, that senior surgeon has a bad reputation in terms of like his timing and people not liking to work with him. So I almost feel like I am, guilty by association which is then causing people to say oh you work with them you must be terrible too and then I feel like all these things are happening like I actually when I meet new staff will not tell them what group I work with I wait for them to ask me first okay so that so let's let's look at that then and try to pick out the thought that's causing the threatened feeling it maybe you you, it's what you just said about other people having um, kind of a precedent that they set at this particular place and that people are making assumptions about you just because you're a part of their group. Um, I don't know if it's that or more, I don't have any like backup or support. Okay. Well, that's what I wrote down first. So I don't have support at the hospital. Yeah. And that creates a feeling of threatened. So then when you feel threatened, what do you do? 
Um, I have become like so much more anxious about operating and in my cases, like micromanaging even more than I normally do. So I'm always like, you know, very particular about infection, right? If we think anything, touch something that is not sterile, we're going to change it or whatever. But I've become like even crazier about that. Um, or, you know, now I do like spend a lot more time irrigating and cleaning things out. Like not that I've had infection complications, but just doing like anything I can to prevent anything bad from happening. Um, even if it's not necessary. Um, I've started waking up like an hour and a half to two hours before my cases, which never happens to me. This is only on my OR days. I assume it's like due to all these feelings. Mm -hmm. So then I'm doing these like big cases on like four hours of sleep. Um, so I would say I micromanage more, I become more anxious and then I'm like having trouble sleeping because of all of it. Okay. And, um, what result is that creating for you? Honestly, it's like adding more time to my cases, like micromanaging more and being so crazy about like little things I could potentially control in the OR. Yeah. So, and like, how does your result now tie back to the thought of, I don't have support at the hospital? It's almost like you're isolating yourself to a certain degree because you're, you're having, it's like in your mind, you don't have the support and it may be true that you actually don't have the support. I'm not trying to suggest that that's not true, but I'm just saying like in your mind, if you don't have the support, so then you feel threatened or you feel whatever you feel. And that causes you then to micromanage the way you described. It's like, okay, once we then start assuming all the responsibility for every possible thing, it almost like isolates us then because we're having to like, feel like we have to do everything ourselves. If we don't have the support then we get kind of further and further cut off from support. Now, that may be like actually what's happening. Like, I'm not trying to say that that's not what's happening, but I just want to see the model to know how the story that the brain tells creates the reality. And then could it be, is there any room to see any other way that there, that things might be? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, okay. I will actually say what you said about like isolating. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. So if you isolate yourself by doing everything, you basically then are not like there's still, it's like a barrier to support. Um. Okay. And then sometimes I feel like I want to hide when I'm at the hospital. Interesting. Why? I don't know. It's stupid. Well, you know, what's funny is I grew up in the Northeast where people are very in your face. So people think you suck and they don't like you. They'll just tell you here. I live in a different part of the country now. And it's not like that. I am actually surprised that all this stuff is happening because to my face, everyone is so nice And so friendly and like we generally have very good interactions. It's not like things are contentious. So when I Mm -hmm. get these emails, I'm like, wait, I didn't even know there was a problem. Yeah. It's Um, that's interesting, right? It's like a little harder to know what's going on. Um, Yeah. So this is so important and I'm so glad you brought this up because our brains, when they, when you have a certain filter applied, which comes from the reticular activating system, it allows you to see like one thing, one, like one way it's one story is told. And then that becomes like the only story. And then your brain just wants to make it so true. So we start to find evidence everywhere to make that story more and more and more true. So now again, like maybe it is true, but we want to just take us, take a, a, like widen the aperture a little bit and say, okay, how else can I see this landscape? Like what else is there? Is there anything else for me to see? Can I identify anything else that might be outside of the super tiny narrow scope that I have when I think I don't have support? 
And only until we kind of do that investigation, can you then determine, okay, was that true or not? And then what's really fun about it is then you open yourself up to the possibility that something actually is different than your brain is willing to see. So if we did that as an exercise, can you think of any ways at all that you have experienced, you know, support? And by the way, what does support even mean? Like, that's the other thing we like in your brain, support means like having a good scrub tech and having a nurse who's going to get your case ready and maybe having a partner who's going to pop in and help you or having a first assist or whatever. So like, it's important to, de- to, de- to define what support means because to somebody else, it might be somebody bringing you a donut to eat in between classes, uh, cases, or, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of going off on a tangent. So what does support mean to you? Um, support to me means, um, partners who have my back. So, I know they don't support me because they, we had a meeting. I've asked them to meet and they flat out said, we don't have time. Um, and we're not interested. So that door is kind of closed. Um, and you know, one of them said, well, I don't know how helpful I can be. I don't do what you do. And I said, I don't need you to do the case for me, Mm -hmm. but like, obviously with big cases, two surgeons are faster. And then, you know, you have, you know how to operate. Um, so just like a second of eyes for those big ones can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it means, um, you know, having a circulating nurse who's not going to argue with me about the setup and, you know, they're doing the opposite of what I'm asking them to do. So I'm having to redo everything that they're doing. Um, okay. you know, a good first assist, whether that's like an actual first assist or a PA, um, the senior partner is trying to push his really bad PA on me because he doesn't want to fire him. He wants me to fire him. Like that's not my responsibility, nor is that helpful, mm-hmm. but that PA has been with me for cases. And I would actually rather just like operate by myself. Um, you know, um, obviously like a scrub tech who knows what they're doing is helpful. There is one at this hospital where if he can, he will ask to scrub in with me if he knows I have a big case, but you know, it's not always his decision. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, support to you is a partner who has your back, who would potentially come help in some capacity. Um, A nurse who does what you ask and doesn't do everything the opposite and doesn't argue with you. The first assist who is helpful, but not making things take longer. And then a scrub tech who knows what they're doing. Okay. So Are there any other ways that you could receive support outside of this? Um, I mean, in the hospital itself, this is where things get tricky, right? Because when you're with different groups, like, I don't know how it works for other surgeons, like reimbursement wise and liability wise, if we were able to, if we did for like a joint case, for example, Mm -hmm. um, Because this one surgeon, the one who said he was, like, too busy to come down, he has told me in the past, oh, you know, I can scrub with you on a case, but I just don't actually know how the logistics work if we're in two different groups. And then also when I actually ask for help, he's like, no, I'm too busy. (laughs) So um, I'm not really sure because, I mean, the other surgeons around are really good, Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know if they're not able to, if they're unwilling to, or if it's this issue where we're all in different groups um, that kind of yeah. causes an issue with that. So, well, that seems pretty easily, like, at least investigated because we, you know, yeah. we do that here and some, it, it depends because we, we will do combo cases like with plastics sometimes and they're a different group. So, um like the part of the case, and I did one with urology and, you know, it happens. And then sometimes we'll assist each other. So there must be somebody that you could ask to say, okay, how can, like, if this person is labeled as a co-surgeon and, or if they're labeled as the first assistant, like how could that person be compensated? And could there be some kind of a structure you could work out with the other 
with a guy from the other group. Cause I mean, compensation is legit, right? I get that, but that seems like there could be some questions answered probably pretty easily around that. Um, was there one of the Kaiser surgeons, uh, is a peer and he's been really, really awesome. He's proctored me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if, if he's around, you know, I'll say, Oh, someone go get him. He'll pop his head in. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, cause he's Kaiser, we definitely can't like be scrubbed in together. Oh, okay. Um, so then any other ways that you can imagine like what support could look like? I mean, the thing is I have plenty of support from afar. Like I have mentors I can call like co-fellows. Um, I have called like one of my mentors in the OR a couple times, um, to like get out of a jam. Um, but there, you know, it's like really what I'm looking for is support that's more readily available there. And Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure. I really just don't think in this current situation that I have that. Okay. So can you imagine any cases that you have done where you have had the support that you want? under this definition. Like you, you mentioned it, like sometimes the scrub tech, the good one will want to come. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a time when there is some support. And then the, um, the gossipy nurse that we talked about last time, (laughs) you said most of the time that guy's like totally in your corner. Uh, you know, yes, except that now with some of the stuff that's happening, I think he may be um, the little spy in the room. So mm-hmm. my spidey senses are tingling with him now. So I kind of don't trust him anymore. Okay. Um, but there's other like good circulators in the room. Oh, I mean, yeah. they have other good circulators. Yeah. And, and we also have seen that other groups appear to have support that you have defined. Like, so we know that it exists at the hospital, even if you're not getting it. It yes. does exist for other people. Yeah. So do you see how like we can just sort of like get a little bit curious about this whole idea of support and that can start to lay the foundation around, okay, that identifies your needs, which is actually stuff that can inform your rebuttal letter. You know, like funny you guys mentioned this time and, and what I'm noticing is, is these are the things that would really help me, but I'm really challenged in getting support in these areas. Okay. That's good. I like that. You know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be adversarial at all. It's like, we are on the same team and yeah. we're saying that, you know, X, Y, and Z, and this is available to other groups, but it's not available to me. You can even mention the thing around um, not having somebody to come double scrub a case. And it's like, you know, I'd love to brainstorm on a way to invite a per- like, like make it possible for somebody from another group to be able to be a co-surgeon. So he could be compensated fairly you know, like I trust this person. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, That's great. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. really interesting how this idea of feeling threatened actually gives you tons of information around what you consider support and how that really lays the foundations and outline for um, some, some communication, hopefully effective communication back to somebody who will listen and hopefully execute something for you. Um, so when you think about it, like that also is such a, uh, more powerful position to be in than feeling threatened. It's like, oh, you know, when you're feeling threatened, it's like being a victim, Mm -hmm. Um, like it feels very disempowering to feel threatened. But what, when you think about, okay, well, this is good information. This can really inform then how I communicate with them. What, feeling does that create for you? Um, you know, that I feel safe, that I know that there's like other options. Yeah. And you have other options like within this current group. Obviously there is the option to leave the group, but if we want to try things, you know. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. And all of this is such a fertile ground for just practicing these sorts of conversations, which are never gonna stop. We, we have to have these conversations all the time, unless you're in that magical position where everything's working out for you all the time. It seems as though we really do need to become somewhat skilled at negotiating 
for ourselves and for our patients. And so this is just one big playground for you to be able to start to learn these tactics and see what really works for you as far as a communication style and, um, you know, kind of the practice with using the language you want to use. And um, I mean, it's not pleasant to have to do it, but it's definitely something that you could do from a position of being empowered rather than a position of being threatened. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should just stop doing cases at this hospital. But Mm -hmm. I do most of my cases at this hospital because I don't have time anywhere else. And we actually have a specialty specific OR, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, dedicated just for us. So out of all the places I go, they are actually the most familiar with what I do, even if it's stuff that like they don't really do there. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't want to leave. I I don't actually want to leave you know, I want to keep working there. Um, That's also great information. Um, yeah. and, and that might be good to tell them too. It's like, Hey, you guys really do have some, whatever there that is beneficial. And there aren't other surgeons in this community who are doing this. So mm-hmm. if we don't improve, you know, if we don't work together here, then there's going to be, um, you know, some sort of like lack of care in the community. I mean, I th- I do think that this is sort of ripe for trying to figure out what you want and then really learn how to get it. Yeah, I guess um, what I don't know, and maybe you might know because you were in private practice for a while, is mm-hmm. like how you get the hospital to help you. Because I'm kind of under the impression that when you're in private practice, like it's up to you and your group. Your group doesn't give you a first cyst, sucks for you, you know? Yeah. Um, your group doesn't have another surgeon that does what you do, sucks for you. Yeah, Um, I think it's probably individualized and it depends on like the relationships and stuff. And you may be having a little bit of an uphill journey if your other partners have set a different precedent than you're trying to set. Yeah. And all, you know, um, I think people respond well to money and (laughs) like, is there, (laughs) is there any way to use the, cost effectiveness, the efficiency, the, you know, whatever for how it will benefit the hospital financially. And also with a reputation for being able to be a location that takes care of this, you know, specific type of complication or complicated patient. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be worth because it, it, this, it, um, and it would be really cool if other people chimed in on this who have built programs, but it really smells like what you have to do to build a program where you start from the ground floor and you just got to kind of scratch and claw your way to get different resources filtered in as you're building your own reputation. And in that process, you build a program. And then that is really great for things like U.S. News and World Report and, you know, yada, yada. So it's, it just sounds like you're kind of on the ground floor of it and that you have the possibility to go to the penthouse and, you know, it just depends on like how committed you are to doing that. Yeah. Um, the behemoth group across the street runs the department at the hospital essentially. Mm -hmm. So I'll be battling like them and their resources whenever they get, but Mm -hmm. And they may like try to squash me because I am their competition, but yeah. I could at least try. And and it may be that you could have a, like a symbiotic relationship with them, like a barnacle where, um, where you are mutually benefiting each other. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that would be, I think better than rather than look at each other as competition and threatening each other. It's like, no, how can we really help each other? Is there a way that you could talk with them to get more information or to learn how to forge some kind of a co-management something or another around this specific thing that you do. Yeah, I certainly can try. Um, I do know that like one of the ER doctors has gotten in trouble with sending me patients instead of them. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to the chief of the service about um, call, cause I take specialty call, subspecialty call. He wants me on general call and I don't want to do it. His bigger concern was me not doing general call. His bigger concern was why don't his, why aren't his partners allowed to take my, like the subspecialty call I take. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's worth the shot, but so yeah. far they have been not enthused that I'm around. Yeah. So. Well, 
there's that book around um, negotiation called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I think that could be a good resource. It is excellent. Yeah. But hopefully at least, you know, just through this discussion, you can see a different perspective where it's totally natural to feel threatened. It's what we do as human beings. It's like sometimes we're prey animals. Um, And how, you know, how could you flip the script on that and just put yourself into a position of more agency within the same system? And hopefully this discussion helped with that. Yeah, I really like this. Um, Now, I think instead of saying like, oh, God, I do these big cases that everybody hates. I've already told them that I'm here. We're going to do these cases. But now we can approach it as I'm here. We're going to do these cases. What can we do to like help them go more, you know, more efficiently? Yeah. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Have a great rest of your evening. And I'll go ahead and hand. Okay, everybody. Um, That was awesome. That, That took us like around the world. Super good. How about somebody else? We have time for one or two more. So um, how are we doing? Anybody else want to volunteer? So I've been off for six weeks and I went and did a clinic today. It was awesome. Um, You know, if nobody's raising their hand, I'm going to start vomiting words at you. Here we go. Allow to talk. Hi. Hi, it's cold. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Sorry, hold on. Break. Sorry, I just need to let my dog eat. Um, So um, I guess like I'm, it's funny. I, it's kind of related, kind of not. And I'm, I've been trying to talk myself out of this for a while, but I guess I'll just explain and I don't, I don't even know where to pick up from this, but I, uh, I work at a busy university center and I'm contracted out to a different, like half my FTE is contracted out to another hospital. That's also very busy. Mm -hmm. I've had a super busy clinical practice. I love it. Underserved community cannot say better things about it. I work too much, but everyone does. So I don't like take too much stock in that. But like, I've been doing this now for, I've been on my own for three years and everything's been, you know, going okay, like the usual ups and downs. But this last Friday, I booked a case that like people come to me to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, they're usually redo cases from outside hospitals. And this is like what I do. Like, that Mm -hmm. is the thing that I do. And I didn't like... I didn't mean to do it. I actually, and like, I'm very entertained by these cases. They're very fun. And they, people are typically are pretty happy afterwards, but I go to do this case and it was a, a kind of an amazing sort of thing where like the day started and all of a sudden it's 12 hours later and I've gotten like nowhere, like literally nowhere. Mm-hmm. I cannot do this case. And it's like, and I knew it was hard mm-hmm. and I was like kind of going around it. And then like the first, I don't know, five or six hours went by and I was like, okay, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. Like this is a hard case. And then I, like, I looked at the clock and it was like six hours in and I was like, I like am normally done by now. Like this Mm -hmm. is not normal. It's not that abnormal. So I called my boss in and we like changed around some stuff, but I could not move forward. It was too frozen. Like I, I could not, I couldn't do it. And so you were too frozen or the patient's tissue the, was too frozen? The patient's tissue was too frozen. It wasn't okay. me. Like I, I was still operating. We were trying to find ways around it, but like, it was like one of those things where you're moving, like you're working really hard, but mm-hmm. it's taking you two hours to get like a centimeter deeper or a centimeter through, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, it, and nothing bad is happening yet, but you feel yourself kind of getting like antsy and annoyed and like, mm-hmm. and and to a point where I even called a third partner in because I'm like, because I have great supportive practice. I literally cannot say enough great things about them. Mm-hmm. And we're all just working there and nothing is happening, like nothing good, right? Yeah. And it gets to the point where we're, we're so far from being able to do this thing. And there are some modifiable risk factors that we kind of look at. Um, and my most senior part, my boss starts poking around in a place where things should not be poked and something bad starts to happen. So anyway, like we, I was like, stop, stop, stop. Like we have, everyone has to stop. We're not, 
we're not hurting this lady. I'd rather her be mad at me than yeah. dead. So yeah. I just, I said, we got to, you know, the surgery just didn't happen. I put in a couple drains and, you know, to get some pus out and stuff. And then I was like, we're done. Like, that's it. We're done. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. to her later. And the patients, of course, like piss, but you know, when you tell someone that you were working on them for 12 hours and you know, it just wasn't moving, they're actually relatively understanding. Mm-hmm. And then, but what I'm getting to is the fact that of course, following this, I have like, no joke, like, like six to eight huge surgeries these next two weeks. And mm-hmm. I cannot forget this. You know what I mean? They're not this surgery. It's not, I've got a reprieve from this. Mm-hmm. But like, how am I supposed to like feel confident enough, you know, when I couldn't do mm-hmm. anything and I know reasonably like they're difficult cases, blah, whatever, but I can't like, I, I've been having a hard time sleeping. <laughs> like I've been having a hard time like preparing for stuff. I've been like just completely thrown out of whack because of this single thing. And I know it shouldn't impact my entire being, but like even my, like my partner looks at me and he's like, you know, this happens to you whenever you have something unexpected that happens, but he's like, normally it doesn't like affect your sleep like this. And normally you're not (laughs) this cranky. And, you know, again, I am super lucky. I am very well supported and I have very patient human beings around me, but like, I cannot shake this like complete feeling of inadequacy just because I couldn't do this one thing that I know shouldn't affect me. So I'm kind of stuck in the sense that like, I know this isn't, this isn't a reflection on me being a bad surgeon, but I can't make it not feel that way. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. I'm setting up the model. Um, okay. I think this will be super helpful, hopefully for you and for other people that are listening. Cause this is common. Yeah. So I'm putting the cases 12 hours. It was a redo, right? Redo, redo, redo. Redo times three, Case <laughs> takes 12 hours, three surgeons, um, tissue, immobile yeah trying to use like factual things yes immobile um you know drained pus stopped stopped case patient is still alive yes okay and then so you're feeling inadequate and when you are are you saying to yourself (laughs) i'm inadequate and so then you obviously feel inadequate. Is there any other feeling that's dominating this? I think you said anxiety too, somewhere in there. Yeah, definitely feeling anxious. And I was really trying to like parse it apart. And I was trying to figure out if it's like if my pride was hurt in any way. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think so. Mm-hmm. I just like, I just feel so profoundly bad for this patient that I feel like I am never that person that says, oh, I can fix this. No problem. You know, yeah. that's not how I consent people. But like, that's kind of the feeling that they get regardless of what you say to them, right? Like, they're like, yeah. oh, this person's going to help me. And I feel like I let them down. So I guess I'm disappointed. There it is. Okay. So I think it's not so much I'm inadequate or it's not so much. Um... Oh, I'm saying to myself, I like, I'm in, I hear myself. You know what I mean? Like, I can hear yeah. it in my head, but I'm like, but yeah, it's just more, it's more than that. It's like, just like a, oh. And like, how am I supposed to do this for other patients, you know? Yeah. So I'm putting that I'm inadequate actually in the action line because you're telling yourself you're inadequate. But the reality is, is you, you just said it. I feel so profoundly bad that I couldn't fix this person. Yeah. Right. That's different. Mm-hmm. And so in your, that's my word. So what are your words? How would you sum it up? Like, yeah, I mean, I feel like I I truly feel like I let this patient down and I, I let I, this patient down. Oh my gosh. But I feel like I put this patient through I mean, 12 hours of anesthesia for anyone is not great, but like they're not they don't have the greatest protoplasm to begin with, and I just feel like I I know things could have gone a lot worse and I know that if I would have kept going or if I like would have let things keep going, it could have been a very different story. But even still, I just like I kind of find this outcome unacceptable but Mm -hmm. like uh, the logical side of me is like well of the outcomes like this one's not that bad Mm -hmm. yeah so let's dive into the feeling so if the thought is I let this patient down what's the feeling that that creates for you honestly I feel like shit like I'm like I like I I feel inadequate I feel I don't know. Um, Do you feel guilty or shame? I feel 
guilty. I, I like, I want to say I feel shame, but like, again, like I, I almost feel like that might have like some sort of pride attached to it. And I don't care what, I really don't care what people think of me. I, and I really do firmly believe that. I just like, it may not be. So I like to think of the difference between guilt and shame. Like when we feel guilty is we feel bad about something that happened, Uh like something that's like, it's outside of you, but you still feel guilt around it. It's like something you, you did, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's what it is. It's like, you feel guilty for something you did and shame is feeling guilty for who you are. Got it. So then yes, it'd be more shame. I feel like I was not enough. Yes. I think that's a critical distinction because often they're tied together, but it could be that you don't give a flying flip about what other people think, but you may really, really care about what you think about yourself. Yeah. So you don't even have to care about what other people think to have shame. If you're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't good enough right here. Like I didn't, it was, it was me. It's like me. Yeah. And that, and then it, that almost makes me mad that I feel that way because that seems so self-centered. It has nothing to, I mean, it has something to do with me, but it shouldn't really have anything to do with me. Like I had, there were three surgeons in there and a fellow, right? So like four surgeons, like, and it's not that I'm so stubborn that we couldn't make it out. It just couldn't happen. Yeah. So I think this is a really good um, model to, to take a look at the feeling if shame is the feeling and look to see what the shame is trying to teach you because it superficially seems self-centered, but it's really not because what it reveals to us is something so beautiful about your values. And I can hear it. I can hear it coming through in the way you're talking. I wonder if you can hear it in yourself. Like, what does that reveal to you about what you value? I mean, like I, (laughs) my, my partners make fun of me because all I say is that all I want is my patients to do great all the time and have no complications (laughs) because I want them to feel perfect. But like, and I care a lot about the patient and how they feel, which I, I like that, but but it is it is killer and i i worry that's going to keep me from being able to do my job appropriately for yeah. everything else and i wonder too because of this reputation you've built up about being the redo surgeon in this particular mm-hmm. area yeah like there it's and i'm putting words in into your mouth right now so you got to tell me if i'm way off base but it's like when you get to have that reputation it's like the buck stops with me like yeah. I'm the one who can get yeah. this thing taken care of. Like this, yeah. this is my thing. And you started out talking like that. Like, this is my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it feels like, I mean, like this lady came into my office a year ago with my picture in her hand. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a horrible picture, by the way. I, I mean, I hate that picture. That is like an awful picture. It's going to follow me for the rest of my life. But like, I just, I really feel like I let this person down but like, what level of burnout am I going to have if I feel this kind of like total responsibility for these people mm-hmm. now, you know, like, and yeah. how, like, where's the balance, right? Like, I think part of it is good, but like, I'm not hitting the balance. I'm, I'm, fa- yeah. I'm famous. And I, I totally hear what you're saying. And I just want to offer that right now in this moment, while everything feels so heavy and yeah. like, you know, cause you're saying like, how am I going to be able to go on? How am I going to be able to do these, do more cases and continue to take care of people and da, 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 da. And I just want to take a moment and pause and just recognize the value system that must be a part of your internal compass and just recognize how freaking beautiful it is. Yeah. Have that. And <sighs> just to let that be for a moment to just give yourself a little bit of grace around the fact that you just give a shit. Yeah. And how beautiful is that to have a human being who cares like this about other human beings, you know, at this level. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful. It's so amazing. And we just like blow right past it. We blow right (laughs) past it. And then we just start to be like, well, you know, how can I keep going? And da, 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 da. it's like, wait, you're a human being too. Yeah. And like we need to care about you with the same level of tenderness that you care about these other patients. 
Um, so I, that's why I really wanted to highlight that. Like, and the exercise of going through to try to find out what your feelings are telling you, I think is so helpful. It, they usually tell us something about a value that we have, like we just discussed, which is probably, there's probably more there too. Like maybe you value excellence. Maybe you value, um, you know, humans having like a full, like the fullest life they could possibly have. Maybe yeah. you value X, Y, and Z. It could, they could tell you something about something that you need physically. Like mm-hmm. maybe you need a, a break. Maybe you need, um, I don't know, like you fill in the blank there, something you need. It could be telling you something about something you really desire. Mm-hmm. Like is there something about this that can reveal to you your desires and in that these emotions and even the the tough ones like shame then have a purpose they have a purpose to help you discover the truest essence of who you are and that's the person you know we want to take forward the one yeah. where you know the truest essence of who you are and then you can get to work with you know trying to figure out how to get the next case done um but you're absolutely right. Just on a, on a, in a grand scheme of energy management, kind of being stuck swirling around in this is a total energy suck. So I, I get Completely. that. Yeah. And, and in sleep and in mental energy and everything. And then, and I, I hate to stockpile on this, but you know, that feeling where you're like, it feels like I'm going to feel like this for forever. It does. And then, and then I know that I'm not going to feel this way for forever, but then, you know, our brains keep going. And then I'm like, yeah, but I could intermittently feel like this for forever. Yeah. And, and like, like, why, why do we even do those exercises? You know what I mean? I'm like, stop thinking about this. This is stupid, but it doesn't keep you from doing it. It doesn't. And, and it's really interesting around kind of like longevity. And if this is something that you love, I mean, you talked about a community that you love and partners that you love and patients that you love and surgeries that you love. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a great time to ask yourself, am I willing to be uncomfortable like this for these moments kind of on a somewhat regular basis? Mm-hmm. Because let's face it, like if we're doing enough cases, we're just going to feel like shit a certain part of the time. Absolutely. So am I willing to feel like this, knowing that the worst it's ever going to be is feeling like this? Am I willing to do this and keep moving through it and keep learning about myself and keep learning about these cases and learning about the patients and moving forward? Am I willing to do that, to be able to do this thing that I love? Yeah. And that's only a question you can answer. Oh, I mean, I joke with my boyfriend all the time that I should have been a barista and I really feel like I would have been a really good barista. (laughs) Like That's probably not the mindset to take I just like oh I guess like I guess the biggest thing is that yes I think I think you're right I think I definitely need to appreciate the fact that I even feel this way because I know you know one of my partners tried I had a similar case like this like a year and a half ago and they just like discharged the patient from their care and like I'm planning the next steps and how I'm going to do it and the patient's not pissed anymore and all this other stuff and I'm like trying to figure it out and I Mm -hmm. love that but, um, but I just, the low lows really get me when this stuff happens. Or they do. And I sometimes think when we're in those low lows, we just have to be there and just honor where we are. Just honor that you just are somebody who cares deeply. Yeah. And um, there was one other thing I just wanted to mention. I do this where I get a thought and then it evaporates as if I'm having a TIA. Um your face doesn't look derpy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, shoot. There was another, like this, this particular model and this scenario that you outlined is so relatable. Cause I think we all have this thing that is kind of like the monkey on your back kind of thing. That's always there. Um, and there's another opportunity here to learn something Oh yeah. So also something that we want to do because our brains love to be 
like to have perceived control over things is we want to take responsibility for as much of it as we can, because our brain likes that better than like trying to say, okay, well, that was actually not in my control and believe it. Like it's, it's not your brain's responsibility that she had three surgeries before she came to you. Like her host factors are her host factors, but our brains want to make us like in charge of them. So it's another really great opportunity to just practice that separation. Like what was in my control and start to see, okay, well then I did the things that were in my control. I called for help. I called for help again. I told my partner to stop poking at the thing that you shouldn't be poking at. (laughs) I stopped at a point when I knew we cannot finish like this cannot be done right now. And I did not harm her and blah, 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 blah. So like you can start to open your brain up to these other things that you actually did do rather than seeing the things that you didn't do. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. You're right. I just, sometimes my, my boy, my partner says that it's like the self-flagellation period and he usually waits a week and a half to say anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I, I'm very thankful. He's very understanding from that standpoint. Um, but uh, it just, that self-flagellation period really does take a, a, a while or a, it, it is mean. The things that I feel or I say to myself or all that other stuff is just, it, it, it feels shitty. Pardon my language, but uh, it does feel shitty. That's funny that your partner has tuned in enough to say, I'm going to wait a week and a half because that's the amount of time she needs to process this. Like there must be some level of connection that you have where he recognizes that, which is super fascinating to me. And I almost wonder, could you meet yourself in the same fashion and just be like, well, she just needs a week and a half. Like she just needs to feel like shit for a week and a half and we're going to let her do it. And we're not going to judge her for it. We're just going to let her Cause she's, she just gives a damn and she just needs a week and a half to process this. Like, I wonder, is there any way that you could talk to yourself in a kind of tone as your partner is trying it sounds like your partner kind of like is awesome. Yeah. He's, he really is phenomenal. And I, I honestly, that's super fair. I mean, I would prefer not 10 days. Like maybe I can get the inner me to deal with it in a week. Um, because by the tail end of it, I can't. <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, we totally want to pr- like make it happen faster because it feels so crappy. But yeah. like you just you need the time that you need, whether it's a day or a week or a month. And yeah. um, and here's the other fun paradox that I'd like to just this was juicy, man. Um, there's this other fun paradox. Like you can ask yourself, how can I feel crappy about this thing that was meaningful to me, and also do my job by continuing to do surgery and continuing to show up for patients. Like how do we hold the two at the same time? Yeah. And when you ask yourself a question like that, that way, like how can I do both? Yeah. Your brain will answer it. It will start to come up with reasons. It'll start to come up with like, okay, well we just, we need to take a little bit of care here so that, you know, you can do this thing here. And it starts to kind of like put the puzzle pieces together for you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And on, like I, when I say I have like the best partners in the world, like they know I have these other big cases coming up this, like these next couple of weeks. And they like, like I even had one today and they like check in, <laughs> they just like call into the OR or peek their head in or something and just be like, how's it going? Like, good. Like, no worries. They, you know, so i I'm super lucky. I just, what I feel like I need to adjust is like my own attitude about it. So I, it's not that the world around me is a problem. I think mm-hmm. it's me. Um, and, yeah. I, and again, I, I don't want to lose sight of how grateful I am for having like me be the problem because I have control over me, right? I just need to figure out exactly how to rein that in. Yeah, I think, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. And I just want to offer again to just be um, to consider being friendlier to yourself about it. Yeah. You know, be as friendly as your partners. You know, like just, it's really fascinating. Like what if you just like loved yourself anyway, 
or yeah. you know, just get his feel inadequate and feel guilty and feel shame and just be upset about thinking that you let the patient down and just let yourself do it. It's like just meeting yourself where you are and just not resisting that or try to, or not avoiding that. It's funny how, when we stop resisting and stop avoiding, it usually does dissipate faster. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're probably right. I've been fighting this for so long and trying to get that thought out of my mind that if I probably just was living with it, it probably wouldn't be so bad. And then like in the A line, when you notice that you're like heaping more on, like beating yourself up for, you know, doing it, it's like, oh yeah. Like just even that, just kind of allowing yourself to think you let the patient down and just let that be the end of it and not heap on more. Like, it's okay. You think you let the patient down. I Mm -hmm. totally see why you think you let the patient down. You, you care so much. You have these values. Like it makes perfect sense that you think this instead Mm -hmm. of the thought loop around. I suck. I'm, I didn't do the right thing. I couldn't get it done. Uh, I'm inadequate. Yeah. Dude, thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. And here's the other thing is because you shared this tonight, I suspect this will hit for other people. I really, really do. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, folks, that takes us to 601. You all have a great rest of your night and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.